Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 7, titled A Man Without Honor. Uh, talking about Ned, quite obviously. The guy we thought was so honorable, and Jamie makes a salient point about the the dishonorable nature of, of Jon Snow being a bastard. Yeah, it's one of the better scenes in the the episode where Jamie kind uh-huh. of like outlines how you're in a pickle sometimes as a knight. Like what what oaths yeah. do you fulfill and what oaths do you like, you know, if you're the Asimovian robot with the three laws, which ones take precedence? Um yeah. I, I, it's it's um it's interesting that they start this uh this is the first kind of well, I don't know. It's it's interesting because it's it's humanizing Jamie in an episode where he b- kills his cousin in complete cold blood, uh-huh. and I love it for that reason because it, they kind of refuse to put Jamie in just one box. Like you're not ready to get yeah. at your woobies for him, but you know clearly there's more to him than the official kind of like stark propaganda about mm-hmm. Jamie Lannister, and it's great. Absolutely, and they've been doing. I think some of that stuff with, you know, Tywin as well. In the mm-hmm. Arya scenes, you can see that he's not just this cold-blooded monster, um, but there is that element to him. And I think they're doing a lot of, like, father-like-son sort of stuff here. Yeah, and even with Cersei, like, the fact that she's afraid of her own son and mm-hmm. afraid of what it means, the fact that he's so fucking crazy and cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, Cersei, Cersei having a, an off day here on the bitch scale, right? Like, yeah. normally she's she's a pretty tough exterior, but it's melting a little bit. Well, I think when you've got this, this existential threat on your back door yeah. and there's really nothing you can do about it. And, and you sort of know you've caused the problems that are putting you in this situation to begin yeah, with. Yeah, looking back over your life, oh, here are the things that got me here. It's it's, pro- it's it's probably got a way to sober up anybody. For sure. And for all of those reasons and more, I like this episode a lot. Uh, I thought it was really good. You have anything else to say about it before we get into the recap? No, let's, let's get to the recap. I uh, want to cover some quick housekeeping. We got so much stuff going on. Walking Dead Season 8 came back this weekend. Uh, we've already live watched it. We are ready for the podcast to come out on tuesdays that's going to be an every week thing until for the next eight weeks mr robot came back last week uh two weeks ago and mm-hmm. we are really digging the episode so far uh we're having a great time recapping those those drop on friday stranger things season two drops in its entirety on friday and jim and i are marathoning it this weekend our goal is to have an episode up for every ep- uh, a podcast episode for every episode uh, complete and uploaded as we go by Monday morning. Uh, we're also going to be seeing Suburbicon this Thursday night, the new Coen Brothers written, George Clooney directed, uh, Matt Damon starring, crazy movie. Uh, have no, I really don't even know what it's about, but that's a pretty good pedigree and I'm excited about it. We also last week played uh, episode three of a Wolf, The Wolf Among Us, which is the weird uh, kind of fantasy fable uh, adventure game from Telltale. And I thought it was a pretty good pretty good episode if you if you've never seen a bald move let's play we try to make the worst decision possible at all times uh either in terms of like what it means to be a good human being in terms of what it means for good gameplay we always try to be, do the stupidest and most dickest thing possible check that out uh for our premium club members and also finally we're going to be in Huntsville, Alabama for the Rocket City NerdCon. If you go to rocketcitynerdcon.org, you can get all the information. It is the weekend of the 4th and 5th of November. 
we'll be at the uh, Central Library doing panels. We're going to be doing a live podcast on uh, Return of the Jedi. We're going to be doing our uh, Red Wedding cosplay game show spectacular and talking about how you can succeed at podcasting. RocketCityNerdCon.org for tickets, uh, advanced tickets to that. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do, do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission The Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, The Ones Who Live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the Shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Okay, we start off with Theon waking to find Asha, Hodor, Bran, and Rickon all gone. Uh, he's pissed at the guards, and he beats one of them for pointing out that he was fucking the wildling who helped them escape, and then he sends the hounds after the boys. This is the insolent one, anyway. He yeah. probably deserved a curb stomping. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're, in as much that all these Iron Islanders are probably total shits, mm-hmm. uh, you know... Rape. I, I maybe there is the sense. Maybe there is the. I, I keep thinking of like what it would be like to be the one, like sensitive soul in this longboat. Like you're the. Yeah. What was that dude on uh, in Saving Private Ryan? The translator. 
Oh yeah, um, like Private Mellish or something like that. That's something not like that. that. That's not. But like, what would it be like to be that guy? Jeremy Davies. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you you would be dead. You'd be you you wouldn't survive the trip across the first trip across the ocean. So I'm just assuming at the very least you'd need your own boat. All these guys are rape and reaving experts and thus failures as human beings. Yeah, uh, and the, you can see Theon like uh, having to be in that mold, and it's not it's not pretty. No, it doesn't doesn't really fit him, honestly. He's trying to grow into it here, um, if you can call it growth. Um, He's trying to be that, but you can see, I mean, especially on the look, with the look on his face at the end of the episode, where he sees the the two burnt bodies, he is very much out of his depth here, um, (laughs) even though he's trying to put up this good front. And the other thing is, like, I remember the first time, you know, watching this or, or reading it, you think about Theon, like... Okay, Theon maybe is all all hat no cattle most of the time, but he was mm-hmm. a pretty good hunter. Yeah. And and he had a lot of skill for like the bow and and I remember being kind of like really afraid like, "Oh man, uh it's Asha and Hodor and these two boys versus versus Theon and and what's going to happen." Mm-hmm. Uh and I felt like that they did a pretty good amount of suspense here. Um Yeah. So yeah, let's leave it at that. My my preference in this scene when you see the guard who's had a slow thr- th- slow slow thrit? thrit, yeah, yeah, when that slow's just totally thrit open. Oh man, nothing like a slit throat. <laughs> uh, or th- wait, yeah, throat. Hey, you fucked up the fuck I, up. No, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, when they see this, I I can't help but think they assume it was like Bran or Rickon put the knife to the throat. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's Which the thing. I think is pretty funny. As the guy's like, well, it wasn't just the it was it wasn't just a crippled boy. It was the giant. It's like, oh, yeah. because we know Hodor is not exactly. Even he's got the power to crack a walnut in his hands. Mm-hmm. He's a gentle giant. He is. He's not a killer. No. Um, okay, let's go to Asha complaining about ha- not having enough food as they walk through a field and they come upon a farm where Bran sent the Winterfell orphans. If you recall, a couple episodes ago, I do. Uh, Bran doesn't want to go to the farm in order to keep them from harm, but Asha points out that they can't outrun the hounds forever. Yes, I know I've rhymed that. Awesome. <laughs> and that's it. That's the scene. Can't outrun hounds or Jim's propensity to rhyme. Uh, yeah, it's it's cool because, like I said, uh, this this walnut this this walnut cracking by H- Hodor mm-hmm. uh, gives you the 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 glimpse of his potential power, and I remember. Yeah reading and watching it's like they kept on having these like casual feats of strength it's like oh man with if, if hodor ever has his lenny moment mm-hmm. uh in in uh you know mice and men it's going to be fucking epic but until now we're just content to watch him cracking cracking walnuts with his bare hands yep um and that becomes important later yeah yeah it does it's not just because a flourish it, they, they leave it here with brand giving very good reasons for why they shouldn't visit the farm and Asha giving very good reasons for why they should. Yeah, and you don't know which one they're gonna they're gonna choose, right? Because it says something. It says yeah. something about Bran um, and his starkness, like what 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 the what kind of harm he would put others in. Uh, we're not, but we're not ready to talk about it just yet. Not quite. Uh, first, we got to talk about John and Egret waking up in the morning. Egret uh, goes right back to the sexual teasing. And John gets just as annoyed as he did the night before, especially when she accuses him of being a newcomer to the North. And he gets all uppity about his blood, and and she makes the point, why are you fighting us? I think this is the first time that this has been articulated. Yeah. The fact that, like, you assholes built a wall. Mm-hmm. We get the freezing part. You get the part that's farmable. 
so for a bit of summer what the fuck yeah you know like you know you've got the blood of the first men what what is our blood made of and you know like why why is the you know why why is the night's watch been kind of reduced to this um and it's it's a great scene because you know we learn through asha we learn through egret that not all of these these wild things are just mindless killing machines they're not yeah. they're not like uh fucking Greyjoys, for example okay uh sure. they have they have a, a a culture that actually has a lot of of appeal to modern to the modern ear hmm. yeah freedom yeah it's it's a democrat like you know like john tries to make it king versus king but egret's like you know we 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 chose this guy yeah we had a fucking process there was a fair and open election even giants were heard from uh you know yeah and i'm trying to figure out how much egret is trying to not talk her way out of the situation because i don't think she believes that's going to work but like trying to educate john um in a way that might soften him toward the feelings of the wildlings no yeah she's it, there's definitely there are a couple of moments in this episode where she's doing that kind of stuff there's definitely seduction but there's also just kind of genuine outrage that this guy thinks yeah. he's better than me mm-hmm. like that's always like you know uh that's a galling situation uh whether you're it's like i think of like people in my life i've met that think they're better than me like an office situation or whatever and how like infuriating it is and then extend that to like, what if they actually have you in bondage and they're uh-huh. treating you this way? Like, wow, mustn't that be a fucking trip and a half? <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I like that you kind of get that she's kind of playing both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's really twisting John up from every angle. <laughs> uh, blue balls, actual medical condition. Is this is this a threat to young men's health everywhere? Uh, bl- the, the blue stones? The I don't bl- know what balls are. The blue stones. I only know what stones are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, in certainly in the north. It's a life-threatening condition. I, I don't know that it comes from not using your stone and bone, but I think it's more the cold. <laughs> <laughs> I think the incidence of bluestones is roughly, is, is about, is about, happens as often as just the tip intercourse. Yes, yes. And they're, a, they're, a one they, in one they, correlation. They, they are, they, they are, uh, they, they are a malady that, that they have the same... It's, it's, it's essentially the same purpose. Uh-huh. Anyway. All right, let's move on to Tywin. He's forcing, uh, or sorry, his forces are torturing people to try and find out who it was that tried to assassinate him. Uh, for some reason, he thinks this was targeting him. He tells the mountain to burn the villages and the farms because he thinks it was the Brotherhood Without Banners. Uh, so he sits with Arya, and they talk about his his own legacy as well as the legacy of the Targaryens, while Arya sort of looks for an opportunity to kill him still. Uh, yeah, it, it really changed my mind about where Arya sits on on that fence. I think she's over the fence and she's ready to kill Tywin. Oh, I think if she had a good enough opportunity, she would. Um, yeah, I think I'd said like last episode, maybe she, maybe I doubted if she would be able to do it now that they're kind of warming up to each other a little bit. But very think, clearly the scene is telling us she's ready. And I think that it's, I think you were right last episode the thing that's changed is now Tywin's on high fucking alert. Like this cloak and dagger stuff, there's not how much... How much longer do you, do, does she think she can like maybe steal orders and getting them yeah. out to rob? So now it's like, what's the next most maximum good thing I can do? Probably taking out their best best military leader. And I guess it's indirectly, or maybe not so, uh, Arya's fault that all of these villages and farms are going to get burned. Yeah, kinda. Because yeah. she stole this thing, she assassinated that guy, uh, his his like it's, second it's, commander, or whatever. It's and these unintended consequences, right? It is. Yeah. 
Um, but I also think it's interesting what it tells us about Tywin because Tywin kind of rides to the rescue when like all the innocent people are getting tortured, and you think, oh, well, this is a lord that's kind of a cut above the others. But then we see how thin that veneer is, and also mm-hmm. what he really likes doing, which is using you know Gregor Clegane as his heavy. Yeah, like he keeps his hands clean by saying, "Oh, I got this bannerman that's always running, that's always running loose," and uh-huh. you know he can always plausibly deny his activities, or if he needs to offer him up in some kind of exchange with the, with the greater lord, um, he's a real, real son of a bitch. And I think he's also a tactician. I mean, he obviously is, but you can see it in the way you mentioned how he comes in and he sort of puts a stop to the torturing of people. And yet here he is torturing people, but now it's with a purpose. Yeah. Um, he, I think what he didn't like about the torturing before was a, they couldn't afford to spare the, the right. prisoner slaves essentially. And right. B, it was pointless. There, there was no purpose behind it. It was torture for torture's sake. And that was not something he was interested in. That's true. Um, although now it's like, yeah, it's torture for torture's sake, but you're now burning, you're going to be burning farms and villages just yeah. cause to we'll have to send a message you know i mean the the mess there was no message being sent when people That's were true. having rats tearing through their guts now there's a message that tywin is trying to send and you know it's a it's a grim message and it's a horrible thing he's doing right like he's like you know it's just so indiscriminate the fact that your your village could not be harboring the brothers brotherhood without banners and not aided them in any yeah. way and you still get torched because you can't you won't give them up because you can't give them up. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a small distinction for sure. Uh, Arya st- continues to impress Tywin, and she's playing a dangerous game here because she continues to betray more and more. And then, like, I, I feel like it's weird because it's a defiant way. Like, she continues to display her intelligence and her education mm-hmm. in contradiction of what she should be as a commoner. And, like, Tywin's kind of, over the last few episodes, given her explicit instructions on, like, oh, well, you shouldn't be, be able to read. And if you're read, you, you shouldn't sh- – if you can read, you shouldn't be well-read. And even if yeah. you're well-read, you shouldn't know, like, in-depth Westerosi history. And you certainly shouldn't be saying, my lord versus my lord. <laughs> and Arya doesn't give a fuck. And, like, yeah. he even says, like, you're playing a dangerous game. And she's like, damn right, old man, I am. <laughs> it's – it's – uh but – but but Tywin's got this weird attraction. Like, he yeah. sees a weird reflection of Cersei's kind of headstrongness and frustration at being, you know, a woman in a man's world. Um, I, why, but I got the impression that Tywin's warmer to Arya than he's probably ever been to Cersei. Seems like it. Is that, like... I mean, I'm not a dad that's, like, particularly hard on my son. I don't think so. He might tell you otherwise. Um, certainly by my dad's standards. Of course, my dad, uh, as he administered meaning beatings, would love to tell me that, oh, you you think this is bad? We should see what the granddad is do- doing. So, yeah, yeah, generations of bullshit. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's I, probably, he's sterner with her. But I wonder, like, if you got, like, this neighborhood kid where, like, you can kind of, like, you don't give yeah. a shit if they right. turn out to be, like, th- this kid doesn't have the weight of your legacy on them. Yeah. So you can just appreciate for what they are and, like, spoil them. And it's, like, if they turn out to be rotten, who gives a shit? You think it's yeah. that? Or I think so. is he just getting soft in his old age? And Well, he is talking about this being the last war, you know, right. that he'll fight in. So is he trying is it this is is he an old man trying to get the Westerosi seven heaven? What <laughs> maybe make up for yeah, uh, lost yeah. time here? If I give this urchin a bit of fatherly attention, then all yeah. the other shit I've done in my life. 
Maybe. I mean, it, it probably does come down to that idea of legacy, and I feel like he would be sterner on Cersei because of it. Because um, he's he's seen here admiring Aegon for the legacy that he left behind, right? right? No one in 300 years has forgotten Aegon right. because of the things he did, and Tywin wants to be that. He admires him. Right. Um, so, yeah, legacy, super important for Tywin. <laughs> yeah. He didn't already know it. His din- The dynasty he wants to form for his legacy. <laughs> Uh, we go over to Sansa, who thanks the Hound for saving her, and he doesn't so much accept the apology as try to intimidate her and call her father a liar. <laughs> not not great with accepting apologies, the Hound. Uh, what's uh, is is he embarrassed at his concern, like the 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 concern for our for Sansa? Is he like because because when he said at the end, it's like you know. You think I'm this remorseless killer, you'll be glad of that when I'm all that stands between you and your beloved king. Is he already looking to the future and being like, man, this is going to be like all kinds of ugly, and I kind of got to harden my heart a little bit, or I'm not going to be able to do this job? Like, what's what's Yeah, it could be. I mean, I read it as definitely keeping her at arm's length, and for for whatever reason, you know, he does, I, I think if he weren't, the hound if he weren't scarred emotionally right. as much as he is physically um he probably would warm up to her a bit more but he doesn't see allies anywhere in this city and he doesn't right. want allies he right. wants to you know he wants isolation he wants to just be the hound yeah so he's trying to push her away gently i think i also think that he says yeah i, I it's a joy to kill and it's the sweetest thing there is but i also think that what, the way he dispatched those other guys was a little bit more personal because them trying to like rape this innocent girl is deeply offensive to what Sandor like the the code he holds into himself. I, it's yeah. hmm. but he did ride down the butcher's boy in pretty much cold blood. <laughs> uh huh. And I'm trying to think is like is he a Jamie type that is like again his brother the anointed knight who held his face down on the the the, the brazier and burnt him as a as a small boy. Is he just really? jaded about what it means to be a knight is he like mostly an asshole that every once in a while has a moment or two of grace or i think that's pretty close to it um, yeah maybe he feels for for sansa because she was defenseless much like he was um when he was burnt but hmm. i don't know uh he's a tough tough nut to crack he sure Odor doesn't like being related to though no he does not and he'll call your father a liar for it do you think do you think uh old Ned enjoyed killing? No. No, I think the hound has warped his idea of people. <laughs> yeah. Um he has he has warped sensibilities. I mean I've heard a many a warrior say it's it's a hell of a lot of fun to to kill people that you are morally justified to kill. Yeah. And I've always wondered like, is that is that like some kind of like true in a savage heart of you like you never feel more alive than when you're taking a life or is that like bravado so they can do like like sometimes like this hard shit is just because this is an almost impossible thing to do to retain your humanity so you wrap this kind of grim irony about you or I don't know I mean is I think it a, deeper a lot of truth? people react differently to, the, to those yeah. things right and I, I never saw anything from Ned that would make me say he enjoyed the act of killing anyone. I mean, like, I, maybe this is just bravado, but, like, there is a bit when he was squaring off with Jamie, like, I'm going to fucking enjoy 
taking his pretty boy apart or hmm. okay. you know when jamie threatened him as like oh you know it's like i i never i never fight attorneys because i don't want people to know like when it's killing time <laughs> when the killing time ned comes out i don't want pe- motherfuckers to know like right i think i think maybe the hound is is, is a little hmm. bit more like like because it does seem like that ned and robert really did like riding around at the warhammer and the longsword and 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 busting targaryen heads what need to be busted yeah maybe a long time ago but maybe there was some of that left over in old ned left it's just yeah in the tupperware that's ned's heart there was some leftover pieces of brutality that it all take leaked out, out. And microwave and oh yeah it's uh so good <laughs> all right let's move on to duck sauce pledging to help get danny's dragons back but she really doesn't care she does not want his help really didn't leave this mystery as long as i had thought before i rewatched this thing yeah like my memory is like there was a few episodes of like who done it, but really the mystery doesn't last. But maybe a full episode if you if you compare Jenny, you know. Yeah. So bully for that, but yeah. What? Mm-hmm. So Zaro, and that's a thing. Like I feel like that a lesser show would have had the scene, but then Zaro would have would have fooled Danny into trusting her again. Mm-hmm. And laid out all these logical reasons of why he wouldn't have betrayed her, and then they would have kept this uh, uh, like a, a bit of a, of a cliffhanger mystery. But this show, you know, Danny's like, no fucking way! Like, I can't trust anyone in this city. Yeah, including Jorah. Anyone? Yeah. yeah it's like it's a logical reaction. Now it's not a useful one, but mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I, and I like that they give her that that moment. That she doesn't like turn right to the first person who offers false comfort. Yeah, and I feel like the plan might have been altered along the way, Darth yeah. Vader style. Um, s- somewhere along the way, maybe in this very scene when he's on these stairs, he realized Danny is not amenable to this idea anymore, and stealing her dragons was actually a big mistake. Um, I-, I think what his plan was is to help her get them back right. and return them in exchange for becoming the queen and him the king. But that's not what the warlock's plan was, was it? No, um, but I'm wondering if the plan changed along the way. Once huh. they saw, oh, Danny is not going to cooperate. As a matter of fact, she doesn't want help from anyone anymore. Right. Um, I don't know. It's it makes you wonder how stable the ruling 13 ever were. Because yeah. it seemed like all it took is a couple of house cat-sized dragons and a, and, a, and, a, and a slight blonde woman to completely have them eating each other alive. And there's yeah. no real defense against it. No. Like, you know, these guys are talking a lot of shit about these warlocks, and he diced them up good mm-hmm. with his with his charlatan tricks. Yeah, he's got 12 copies of them. So like, you can laugh at Penn and Teller all you want until they split themselves into 13 parts and put a <laughs> knife to, through your belly. Uh-huh. Then it's like, oh, yeah, talk a lot of shit about my red pinky nail, didn't you? <laughs> uh, deep, uh. deep pin Gillette cut there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move to back to Egret, who is extolling the virtues of being free as she describes it and offers to teach john how to bang which he does not accept oh an iconic scene this is oh, yeah. john snow sure like is. i know i mean i don't think it's spoiler to say that like that that got that was an instant meme yeah you know nothing just just do a google search for you know nothing there's or a bald, don't there's, a, there's, probably... there's, there's a bald move t-shirt uh that's that's based uh, on that joke uh, sure is so yeah it's um and I forgot that it was all in relation to uh, John being a virgin. Yeah. He was essentially busting his chops for being sexually inexperienced. Yeah, I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember if they use this more in like different scenarios to reference different things. Um, 
but it seems it's just yeah I, i'm surprised i guess it's a badass line said by a badass uh-huh. like like egret even though that john's got the power in a situation she's kind of telling him that you know she's not being intimidated by him no and and not not only not being intimidated but being empowered enough to be like flirty and and try to like you know argue politics with them so it's just a yeah come, well, it's it's a great I mean, there's no way you're going to be intimidated by a guy whose first action is to refuse to kill you when the threat of death is the only threat that you're concerned about. Yeah. You already know that the worst fate is not going to befall you, so press your luck. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting, borderline unbelievable, that, like, John, John's personal prohibition against bastardry is so strong that he's literally never laying with a woman. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, like, Theon, infamous, infamous whorehound. Yeah. I think his brother, they talk about his brothers visiting. Bran and you know. Rickon? Yeah, I, well, <laughs> yeah, Rickon may be a bit young, but, you know, yeah. when they're youngest of that many brothers, weird shit happens. Uh, I mean, I guess that in as much as Ned is this paragon of virtue uh, that always kept his word and and e- even when it cost him, mm-hmm. um, that his his son, John, would have the same kind of tenacity if he got in his head that being a bastard is the worst thing in the world, then I would never, ever... The thing that would really stain my honor more than anything is to make one. Even even without the uh, the vow to the Night's Watch, he'd taken this personal vow hmm. that it's okay. like, you know, marriage or bust, I guess. And now the marriage is out of the equation, so it's just bust. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we go to Rob's messenger reporting that Cersei tore the paper in half when he presented it to her. Uh, he plans to reward him for his service with a hot meal and a clean pin, but Jamie's occupying it. So Rob says, put him in with Jamie anyway and have Karstark's son guard them. Uh, they, the, all of his men walk off, and Talisa comes to Rob to ask him to get medical supplies on his next stop. Uh, going to the crag, the aggro crag. He's going to fight Blaze and Nitro. <laughs> uh, he invites her with him to get what she needs instead of leaving her there and just taking the list. Uh yeah, you can see the fractures in uh, John's alliance here. That like even if the 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 men themselves love him, some of these guys are, you know, we're getting a lot of prisoners. Your Grace, yeah. we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of problems. And and the side eye that Roos gave him when Talisa went into his tent alone, like you're, I mean, Katz told him mm-hmm. Rob's on the verge of, of 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 throwing his kingship in serious disarray. Yeah, and this is before. Jamie starts 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 rampaging through the through the camp too, mm. like, like just 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 this is this is all bad and and he's not around. He's traipsing with this foreign foreign woman, uh, which makes it even worse. It's a very untenable political situation. Yeah, and the other part of this scene with the messenger, I think, is important to Rob's character as well. Um, he is not one to kill the messenger, um, even though the messenger kind of ex- expected it. He does, yeah. He totally thinks if he says anything negative here, he's done. Yeah. Um, but Rob shows him that he's a better person than that. Uh, and he's also, you know, pretty deferential to Talisa, who is helping the Lannister troops as well as his own, right? Which is another political cost for him. Because yeah. his men are observing the fact that, uh, it's not just our troops she's helping. Yeah. Um, so they we go over to um, Theon, and the hounds have lost the scent of the boys. The I'm going to call this guy the devil on Theon's shoulder. <laughs> um, he finds some walnut Dagmar shells. Dagmar Clefjaw. Dagmar Clefjaw? Yeah, that's his name. Jesus, okay. <laughs> Does he have, a, like, a cleft? No, he doesn't. Like, uh, in the books, he's got this 
fucking hideous scar where his like jaws literally been cleaved in two with a, a, a axe back in his youth. Hmm. So he's got this like bizarre whole mouth assembly, which probably would have been a bitch and a half to do <laughs> makeup wise. But yeah, well, not not the last time I will look at a, a a person that I thought about what they looked like in the books and be like, huh? Yep. Okay. Well, because you can't act with a split jaw. Uh, so Theon sends Maester Lewin home so that he can commence the torturing of people in peace because Maester Lewin is just really putting up a stink about it. Yeah, he's got these, you know, this, this prohibition about <laughs> butchering the children that he's raised right. from pups. How do you get anything done with him around? I know. Uh, anything else in that scene? Or should we go to Jorah? Uh, so the question that was contemporaneous here was are we to believe that Bran betrayed what he thought was the better counsel as far as these farmers and put them in danger? Or was old Dagmar here clever enough to plant some walnuts? I just don't know how he could have possibly known that they were eating walnuts unless they found them along the way. Um which might have happened. The dogs might have. That's right, because the, the, the scene where he was pounding walnuts—that's not something that that any of them would have been privy to. No, it's out in a field. Now the dogs could have found him, and he could have scooped him up and said, sure. "I'm going to use these later." Sure. I um, remember there was a lot of like debate about whether, um, you know, this 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 guy had had like had a bead or he was doing he was up to something something. Uh, I think no it's a good. fair question because he's clearly up to something. I, yeah. I want to know what his end game is here because he's pushing Theon down his very specific path. Right. And I'm not sure that's one that's meant to help him mm-hmm. at this point. Um, we'll we'll see, I guess. And the whole thesis about better to be cruel than weak mm-hmm. is interesting because I think that's probably true that's certainly tywin's thesis but the problem is when you're both cruel and weak mm-hmm. like that's that's a meta commentary commentary on like joffrey it's also yeah. one about theon that like it's probably better to be meek the the be weak and amiable than than weak and cruel sure it's probably better to be like just and even-handed in all the things you do but if you want to choose like one toxic kind of philosophy you can only do one yeah if you if you if you try to because that's the thing like tywin's fairly even-handed but he can be cruel Mm -hmm. um if you try to joffrey or theon and it's it's going to be it's going to be bad bad news yeah at least if you're weak and amenable uh you'll have allies right you know right who can who can ward off anybody but that's who... what tywin saw firsthand the limitations of his father like you know being yeah. being in his mind weak because uh you know you get taken advantage of too mm-hmm. and i wonder how much of that ties into some of the stuff that cersei says later to sansa about you know the the not being weak and only loving your children right um you know, essentially, love is weakness. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but you don't have a choice in your children, so deal with that weakness. Right. Um, yeah. 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 That's the only. But that's the like that's the ones you can't get out of. Everybody else, nah, nah. <laughs> okay, we go to Jorah returning after hearing about Danny's dragons. Danny is sad that she caused her servant's death, essentially. And Jorah says these people aren't her friends, which makes Danny realize she doesn't want to trust anyone anymore. Jorah begs to help her, and she says, if you want to help me find my dragons. Yeah, she also checks him pretty hard, too, because yeah. he, you know, she, he's he's talking the truth that, like, you can't be this p- wretched, paranoid person because 
you're very weak right now and you need friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't be cruel and weak. Like, you know, everybody knows that, Danny. Um, and he's trying to approach her, but she also has kind of seen this fundamental truth that he is also too wrapped up in her. Yeah. And he thinks, like, you know, he's got the temerity to think that he can, like, put his hands on her shoulder and there, there, like a little girl. Yep. Um, so he does, like, you know, he finally finds a way to say, like, it's it's not, okay, fine, I'll step back, but you still need somebody to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, find my dragons. Is that the <laughs> imperative form of where is my dragons? I feel like that that's, like, a partial credit on the where is my dragon scale. Yeah, I could buy that. All right. I'm because, just trying to inflate the numbers. Because find my dragons implies that I don't know where they are. Sure, yeah. So, like, the cinnamon is just... Unless it's hide-and-seek. and then, It's like, you know, like I've where are my, my dragons? dragons? I want you to do something about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, uh, we go back to Egret, who is teasing John by describing what she's going to say to the Night's Watch when they return. It's all very embarrassing to him. Um, and she uses that embarrassment as an opportunity to escape and leads John into a group of wildlings who... I assume take him captive. The the tables have turned here. Yeah. We don't see John again as I recall. Now she's the better one. Um yeah. also I just I love her fairly good Kit Harrington uh imitation. <laughs> it was good. When she's like spinning this tale about him like ravishing <laughs> her and he's like he says turn around and he goes, and I thought we were done and then he said, Turn back around. <laughs> it's, it's so it's it's really funny. Yeah, no, she is awesome. I'm I'm a big fan of Egret. Yeah, and you get to like I mean, in my head canon, she has somehow detected her people in a yeah. way that John could not and and played her hand right then. This wasn't like a desperation thing. No. Okay. Good. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you can see at some point during this episode, she begins leading him. Mm. And I knew immediately that that was a mistake. I I right. saw her going out ahead of him and I'm like you're not leading her anymore, man. Which means she is, by definition, leading you. Probably uh, into a trap. Yeah, and she knows the area much better than you do. So It's almost like Jon Snow doesn't know anything. Yeah. Uh, so Sansa is reliving her experiences um, in a dream. And she wakes up to her first period. And Shay comes in and tries to help her hide it. And another handmaiden sees it. And he goes, she goes to tell Cersei... And Shay stops her, but the Hound has also seen it. Shay does not go up and put a, kni- the- a knife to the neck of the Hound. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if she did, though. Uh-huh. That, you know, so the Hound, is he? Does, is this a morning ritual? Like, he gives the so. handmaid, like, okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to go in there and give it a quick look, and then I'm busted in with my armor. Because <laughs> uh-huh. he's just like, he's like, he's got that bed on, like, lockdown. Yeah. It might be. I mean, he, that it might be an assignment from Joffrey. Yeah, Every tell me morning, when I'd... the girl bleeds. Or I, Cersei, more likely. Uh, the, the, the real shit job you got there, Hound. Yeah. Um, also, really interesting character beat for Shay. Yes, this uh, she was totally tolerable in this scene. I liked it. Yeah, like, I mean, as even as an avowed Shay hater, I got to say that, like, I don't know what the depth is, but, like, anyone who instantly and empath- empathetically sees what's going on here mm-hmm. and like no question just like okay how can i help this shield this little girl not tear completely terrible in my book yep i liked it all right we move on to Cersei describing to sansa what it was like to have robert's children and she tells her that joffrey is going to be terrible and advises her to love no one but her children and i really really love the moment at the end where she says I, I thought I had to love Joffrey, and she says, you can try. Love yeah. Love. Yeah. Uh, just like she tried to love Robert, you know? Um, she's 
she's actually doing a very kind thing here and trying to give her advice as much as she knows how. Yeah, it's from a very. I mean, she is actually. <laughs> this is like Sansa doesn't realize it, but like this is this is Cersei leveling with her yes. from her personal experience. It's yeah. all really fucked up and fatalistic, and like, what can you do in this society we live in? But it's it it is it is like. Uh, advice that is coming from her heart and from a place where she's clearly reflecting upon the failures of Joffrey and herself and mm-hmm. um, and also shows now the really interesting thing is what this says about her relationship with Jamie because it really like like it's funny because she ta- talks about all this stuff in front of the Sansa who doesn't know or I don't know if she does believe that Joffrey is actually I don't know if she fully grasped all that that court intrigue, but but Cersei's kind of really plainly saying like, "Here's how it happened." Like, yeah. you know, Robert fucked off to his hunt, and my brother lover was was with me for all of our children's birth. Uh, so she tells that story, but then she doesn't really carve a Jamie sized exception for the "Don't love anyone but your children." That's true. Rule. Yeah. Uh, and it's also in an episode where Jamie retreats to the moral high ground by saying, "I've only been with." one woman who I've loved, which is which is my sister, you can't say the same thing about Ned. It's like <laughs> not a huge because again, you know, Sans this is delivered to an audience that doesn't fully appreciate the situation. But I think it's interesting yeah. that where in an episode where Jamie you know, declares his love for Cersei, Cersei there's a little bit of a wiggle wiggle room in her love contract. Yeah, for sure. And we've seen you know maybe not incontrovertible proof but certainly implied that Lancel has been sleeping with her I mean so. unless Lancel's just fucking like <laughs> right I, I'm Why not even sure if I her? did have sex with her but like T- Tyrion <laughs> seems like he's sure I better be afraid like, yeah yeah who are they gonna believe me or Tyrion it's like he's like uh, a whole other levels of stupid yeah. if he's able to be blackmailed with something he didn't do <laughs> right so yeah there there's definitely it's there's an imbalance there for sure um, so we go to Jamie and the messenger, who turns out to have squired for him once, and they're getting reacquainted. He huddles closer and closer to Jamie while they trade squiring stories. And when he gets close enough, Jamie kills him and uses his body to get the guard inside the cell, where he also kills the guard and escapes. Uh, and if you hadn't caught it earlier in the episode, this guard is actually Lord Karstark's son. Sure is. Which becomes important in following scenes. <laughs> Yeah, this this is this is a great scene because number one, it works in two ways. The first time you see it, it's fucking shocking. Yeah, like it comes out of nowhere. You think there's going to be this like Lannister romp, like the Duke boys, mm-hmm. uh, and he just whispers that you've got to die and beat and savagely beats well, him. Looks down. him right in the eyes too before he does it. Right to and, see if the kid comprehends what he's about to do. And like you always think in terms of like killers, like we talked about, like you know if you're a soldier or whatever, like it behooves you to kind of dehumanize and detach yourself from the humanity of the people you're killing. Mm-hmm. Jamie does the opposite. He like turns the empathy up to full to pull this kid into his confidence so he can beat him to fuck to death. And yep. it's it's like like the kid's like still twitching on the ground when Karstark boy comes in there to see what's up. Yeah, it's horrifying. And so it's like it's it's shocking, but then every time you see it afterwards, you just think like Jesus Christ, what is Jamie's damage that he's capable of something like this? Yeah. Um and like this 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 like I, and again we've seen him throw a kid out the window and just when you think you know, like this episode is kind of like asking you to see things from Jamie's side but also to recoil from the horror that is the thing that he's become mm-hmm. um it's it's a, it's a great scene and it does a lot like it does a lot of um 
uh, world building because it talks about you know Barristan Selmy, the old Lord Commander, what like a badass he was in his youth, and Painter. how how Jamie idolized this this man who we've seen as a man of integrity and honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think you know, like you know like like in a in a different world he could have been the next you know Lord Commander like this 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 untouchable paragon of virtue Lord Commander. Yeah, but it didn't work out that way. <laughs> no, it sure didn't. Uh, so we go to Jora. He goes to the masked woman, uh, whose name I don't remember. Quaith. Quaith to find Danny's dragons. The woman reveals that she knows Jora betrayed Danny, and tells him that the thief is with Danny now. And in the next scene, we see that she's with the council, so we don't really know who the hell it is. I thought, <laughs> which I thought was pretty nice. Like I don't know that they know what to do with this Quaith character because, like, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting mystery. But then Danny is literally with the entire thirteen, so yeah. then I'm starting to roll my eyes. It's like, well, <laughs> she's with everyone. But before the scene is up, we know exactly the jig, and it too is up. Right. So right. the Quaith scene's kind of just an excuse to see Quaith's ass painting uh-huh. you know work that she does yeah what's that all about well i mean so she talks about the sailor going to old valeria which mm-hmm. if you are new to the world of ice and uh, fire um that's where the targaryens came from originally um some 300 ish years ago uh the a- the targaryens uh had a prophecy that something bad is going to happen to their homeland uh, they took off for Westeros and conquered it, and that you know Tywin was talking about that. But Valeria blew up like some kind of weird, either uh, you know delving too deeply in a kind of a Tolkien dwarves fashion, or some kind of magical mishap, or maybe just a, a Pompeii situation. The whole fucking I, like like subcontinent blew up, yeah, and is nothing but a smoking smoking chain of islands now that is considered to be cursed. So apparently this guy's going to be sailing through or around those those cursed seas, and he's wanting magical protection. Mm. Uh, whether Quaith is like legit or not, who knows? I mean, I'm looking. That's a little Chinese fortune cookie when she essentially says the answer is in the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> exit sure. stage. Exit stage left, Sir Jora. Uh, yeah, the intrigue is gone uh, by the end of it, and I guess the purple purple lipped freak is you know he says the dragons are in the house of the undying. And that uh, that's where Danny's going. Uh, she's been invited, and let's let's call it invited. I don't know how how much of an invitation and more of a demand it is, but we'll see. Um, so Jamie's caught, and he's dragged back to the camp. Uh, Lord Karstark wants to kill Jamie for killing his son, but Catelyn demands that he stand down, and he he goes with it. But he's also going to tell Rob when he gets back and demand that. He gets Jamie's head. See how that goes. Yeah, before we um this last scene where, you know, the the ruling uh merchants uh, the 13 ruling merchants are killed and yeah. uh, Duck Sauce becomes king. Uh what they don't they don't really they don't really talk about what the warlock's plan is here cuz it's like I just want yeah, you just, I just want you to care for the dragons and get them to be big and strong. And it's weird because it's like feels like Jane, like Danny's own story is being hijacked. Mm-hmm. Like she she's 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 gone from Khaleesi to being kind of a pawn in these like pimp games that these guys are playing. Mm-hmm. And it's also weird because like again, if it's that easy to do a coup on Karth, it must happen like every second Tuesday. Yeah, that was my thought. 
it's it seems like this, it's this, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, like I felt I feel like, and it's been a long time since I've read the book, but I feel like that. There's a, this scene's a bit threadbare because it dispenses with what's supposed to be a lot of intrigue and just kind of takes the hmm. barest f- f- uh, kind of factual account of what's going on and, and, and throws it up in a single episode. Yeah, but you can I really can feel and, and, and it's rare in these early seasons, but you can really feel kind of like the streamlining in some of these scenes. Hmm. And I don't I don't know that they work quite as well as, as they would they would hope. Yeah, it did happen uh surprisingly fast i mean i i I, like my memories of danny's plot this season are kind of not great Mm -hmm. and i think these are these are examples why it's just like the quake why why, like uh why did the quake scene even exist yeah um i guess it's just to show jor's devotion that he is out there trying to find those dragons and the links he's willing to go to yeah Right, but because she asked him to find her dragons, and he went to the. I mean, I that's the other thing is like, why did he go to Quaith? Like, where? Why was that yeah. the, the first place he went to search? Like, there's she a seemed lot to have of, some insights that he like into his whole situation. So maybe yeah. he thought, man, she knows a lot. I'm going to go to her first. Right, and she's uh, like, and he's you know, willing wh- to threaten to kill her. What? What so. if? What if uh, Quaith said, uh, "Are you going to betray her again?" He's like, maybe. <laughs> Or like, well, you're why don't the, you tell me? Yeah, you're the bejeweled <laughs> yeah. warlock woman. Why don't you tell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like it's just some some really kind of loosey goosey plotting going on here. Yeah. All right. Um, did you want to say anything about the scene with Jamie and, and no, Lord just Karstark how like, legitimately pissed Karstark is, and yeah. how like Cat has to play every card in that she's got in her hand to keep the peace in Rob's camp with him being gone. And mm-hmm. even then it's not going to last 24 hours. It's kind no, of incredible it, how quickly this falls apart. It, it's also, man, Kat is on real thin ice in this conversation because she, as I recall in season one, took Tyrion captive, um, maybe against better judgment. Oh yeah. She's totally a loose cannon. Right. And, and now she's saying that this is not the smart thing to do. And she, she says she understands, but does she like, she understands, but she's not allowing him the same latitude that she would want. It's just, I guess my, when I was seeing, when I, when I was reading and watching this, I just felt very bitterly disappointed in, in Rob's, leadership here yeah Why is now, he and i'm not saying rob's leadership i'm like the rob's the like the the northern lords he has like this oh, car start oh. guy how can he not see the big picture right that killing jamie lannister for fucking revenge mm-hmm. is not going to advance it's not going to bring your child back from the dead it's not going to advance your your military goals in fact it's probably going to just immediately wind up getting the start girls killed yeah and it's always frustrating that I mean, I, I, maybe that's one of Martin's things. Like, yeah, these feudal systems suck because, like, it's Karstark isn't the smartest, most level-headed, reasonable guy. He's just Next kind of a line. warlord, and he's 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 like he's backing Robin so much as it's going to give him like I it, it's this I don't know it's it's disappointing, but maybe probably an accurate depiction of what it looks like to have. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly don't begrudge him too much for letting emotion get in the way of the level head that he should have uh you know with his son being freshly dead (laughs) but you know it he he should see the bigger picture and i hope that maybe before rob gets back he will yeah 
I don't know. It's like I like it's so weird. It's like I guess you're right. Like I get if he's making emotion purely emotional appeals, but he's also trying to cloak it. Like so, when, since when is it treason to kill yeah, Lannisters? Like that's too much. Come, come on, like. I get that you're clouded by emotion, but don't fucking show, tell me you're stupid. Yeah. Because that's the one thing I really have hard time respecting about characters in television, when they're just fucking dumb. And or, it wasn't the Or mention... they think the other person's dumb enough to be like, oh, whoa, fair point. Have his head, <laughs> right. Sir Karstark. Like, come on. And he's not even responding to the ish- the thing they took issue with, which was him saying, essentially, that Rob has this whore that he's sleeping around with and he's fucking everything up. That was the treasonous part. Right. It, it wasn't about like killing Lannisters. Of course, that's not treason. Right. But yeah, he he's a little cloudy here. The other thing I I wonder if they're trying to hint is because we've talked about this before the fact that the the North doesn't have as many like traditions as far as knights. Like Sir Roderick is kind of a, a aberration that he actually is knighted. Most Northerners don't like that. Knighting is is essentially a religious. Uh, office that you hold, and it's a Southern tradition. And I wonder if they're trying to show because Cat's making a point of calling her Sir, hmm. which she's a she's a lady from the South. She's trying to be courtly towards this guy. And like, I wonder if low key, like if you're if you're a, a, a Game of Thrones fan that's actually a fan of the books, if you're supposed to see like kind of wince a bit at that, that like Cat is almost insulting this guy, but she's trying to be polite. And there's like yeah. there's this real cultural kind of thing because. You know, Karstark seems like he's a he's kind of a northern nationalist. He doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't care much for this this southern wife of, of Ned Stark's. Certainly doesn't care much for this foreign uh, woman that, that his king's traipsing around with. Mm-hmm. Um, even if, if it's something intentional, I think it's a really good subtle subtle thing that they put in there. Well, I mean, shame on Karstark. He's setting people up for that. Right. I mean, if if you're gonna be a northern loyalist and you're also gonna be a knight, you gotta expect. Right. For some people to be a little confused. Right. But that's the thing. I don't think Karstark is. I think she's calling him sir, but he's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I also liked uh, Jamie's, uh, like, oh, you've turned into a real she-wolf. Not much fish left in you, which is yeah. a joke about her, you know, House Tully symbol is a, mm-hmm. a, a trout or a fish. Yep. Uh, so we find out that Stannis' fleet is sailing north, and Tyrion is trying to figure out what to do about it. And he tells Cersei that Joffrey needs to start acting like a king. Cersei says Joffrey doesn't listen to her and worries aloud that this might be the price for having children with Jamie, and then she breaks down into tears. Uh, this is a great scene, I thought. Yeah. I, I felt like Tyrion maybe cut her a little bit too deep in this scene um, hmm. with that line about it's hard to put a leash on a dog once you put a crown on its head. Right. Because uh, she has not been an effective mother for Joffrey, apparently. Yeah. Certainly has not led him down the right path, and now that he has all this power, what's his incentive to ever listen to anyone? And it's a it's a great scene because, like, you got these two characters who are family, but they also have this massive antagonistic relationship. Yeah, and this is where, like, the earlier statements I made, like, what if Tyrion had like been a a, a touch less Tyrion and mm-hmm. his his victorious you know conquering of King's Landing. Because I think Cersei kind of desperately wants to to level with him and to connect with him, have someone understand the position she's in, and because she, and she's really being vulnerable here. She is, and like I think also towards the end of the scene, like the way Peter Dinklage plays, like he's like slowly taking steps towards her. Mm-hmm. Like the human thing would, as her brother, would to be to hug her and comfort her. But she's kind of a snake too, so like I can't quite do it. And when she looks at me, I have to look away. Like it's just like this weird, very 
ill-fitting her like 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 like, it's like if they literally were trying to dance like she's way too tall he's way too short it's just not gonna work (laughs) and i i I really like that and it's a tragedy because again if cersei were just slightly less smug and and shitty like maybe they wouldn't be in this position if Tyrion was slightly less smug and shitty Mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't be in this situation yeah and i especially like that line that I said about the dog, because it applies both to Joffrey and Cersei as well as Cersei and Tyrion, right? Right. I mean, they have years of built-up animosity. It's not going to go away overnight, even though it's needed. Right. Um, yeah. And that's also the, the introduction of the theme of the Targaryens, too, because I don't know if they've articulated this before, but, you know, we've heard about the Mad King and, like, Danny's or... Her, his 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 child and 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 uh, how the you know Jamie and and Cersei have have told themselves like oh well we're no worse than the Targaryens and and look how and 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 look what they became they conquered all of Westeros but the flip side mm-hmm. is yeah the incest you know as 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 we know can can lead to like severe 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 problems reproductive wise and maybe Joffrey is is a result of that like he's just hmm. a mad king that yeah. I've made and like. This thing, this this lie we've told to build ourselves up is now like working against me to tear me down. It's re- it's, it's really great, and they're and they're and they're performing the shit out of this material too. Yeah, it's one of the few scenes where I feel genuinely uh, sorry for the predicament that Cersei is in. I feel bad for her. Yeah, uh, she doesn't get a lot of those scenes, but this one is a really good one. Yep. All right, so we go to Catelyn, who dismisses Jamie's guard to call him uh, or. Yeah, dismisses Jamie's guard and goes into his cell and calls him a man without honor. And he said he's never been with anyone but Cersei, which makes him more honorable than Ned. Uh, Callan doesn't really seem to like that, and she asks for Brienne's sword as the scene ends. And Jamie, it's surprising to me because at the end of the scene, Jamie almost looks relieved, like, oh, it's it's finally going to come to it, right? She's going to put the sword through me, and I'll be off this hook. Yeah, um, I, don't, I, I, I wonder how much he is feeling like he's holding his family hostage i think he, by his he, own he, imprisonment. he feels that whole weight like yeah if i can't be out there and leading the troops or, or killing for my for my family then i should be dead because that's literally all i'm good for like he said that yeah. in like two or three times this whole episode that like you know this is like i feel like this exactly what the hound says like i feel like I, when i'm out there killing it's like a dream that i've dreamed and it's more real than my real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I could see that he would be relieved to have this 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 all over with. And like again, the line where he's like, you know, you swear to honor your father and you swear to protect your king and you swear to defend the innocent. But what if your father hates the king who wants to slaughter an entire city because he's yeah. crazy? Like, <laughs> you know, where where do your where do your vows come in there? Mm-hmm. And you know, I, it's 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 great. Um, and he's he's taking the biggest possible swings he can at Catelyn. Yeah. Speaking ill of her dead husband. Um, I, Which that, I, I think that's, that's that more evidence. Into it. Yeah, at the end, when why I think he's he's grateful that he's going to be killed here. Yeah, yeah. He just wants it to be over. Yeah. Uh, so final scene is Lewin uh, being dragged into, I guess they're still at the farm there, um, to see that Theon has burned the bodies no, of this Rickon is, and Bran. No, this is when they've, they've come back to Winterfell. He's, they have? He's okay. scolding all of the small folk of Winterfell about, see, I fucking told you, look yeah. what you made me, he's Taylor Swifting them, look but what you made me do. When when he sees the bodies, he almost turns around and like, it's hard to read his expression. Like, I it don't know really what to is. make of it. It really is. Is he 
remorseful about what he's done does he is it just all too horrific for him like yeah i expected it to be bad but wow that's bad like like mal dag i i thought i knew they'd be dead but i didn't know that dagmar is going to go to town and like fucking burn yeah. them and their their limbs are charred off and also just the horror of like look at these dead children everybody like mm-hmm. i theon's a weird weird <laughs> weird duck yeah he sure is he's a he's a strange squid to figure out yeah that's that's it for the episode Anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we can get, uh, we were safe to go to feedback. Club.baldmove.com is the link you want to go to if you want to join Club Bald Move. Uh, you get a lot of cool stuff for doing that. You keep Jim and I making podcasts. Like direct listener support is how we make the bulk of our money. And you get a lot of things in return. You get ad free feeds, uh, you get VIP access to the forums. You get a bunch of cool bonus audio and video uh, content, like our extra spoiler reviews of first-run movies, uh, live watches with The Walking Dead, uh, Let's Plays, uh, extra features like Quip. It goes on and on, and you can get the whole pitch at club.baldmove.com. And also, you get to try the service 30 days uh, free. I mean, 30-day free trial, that's confidence. That's confidence, Jim. That's that's saying, that's, that's flopping it out there and saying, look at it. It's 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 worth it's worth your money because you're enjoying it. We don't even have your money. What kind of what kind of crazy people give away something like that for free? Us. It's it's, 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 it's a confidence in the value of your product to to, to do something like that. Uh, invest with confidence in Bald Move Club dot com. Uh, we have a a non spoiler feedback from Mike from Louisiana. He wants to talk about Jamie. In his development this episode, Jamie pushing Bran out the window was horrific and arguably the most consequential act of the series. But I think it pales in comparison to Jamie killing his poor cousin. Think about it. When Jamie tried to kill Bran, he had to make a quick decision to protect the secrets. When Jamie killed his cousin, he was cold, calculating, and cruel. His cousin was literally heaping praises on him and pouring out his soul, but the entire time Jamie viewed him as a piece of meat. Even though I've seen this episode four or five times, I always dread it because poor cousin Lannister has no clue that his head is about to be bashed in with a chain just to serve as bait for the guard. The act helped him escape, but falls under a high-cost, low-reward category. Uh, no, I, I can't agree more. I have so little sympathy for the cousin Lannisters. At Dude. this point, like, they're all buffoons. We've seen it. Tywin's dismissed half of them because they're all idiots and want to go home. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about a cousin of a Lannister, I don't care. They're the bad guys. <laughs> I, but, and, I mean, and they're that's like not a distant, very Games of Thrones observation. They're distant relatives of the bad guys at that. So that's what I'm saying. Like, this guy seems like he's cool. Yeah. I'm uh, sure he's a shit in his own way. <laughs> <laughs> all Lannisters, all Lannisters are evil, even Tyrion? And Tyrion's the one exception. He's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, uh, I've never well, seen him choke anybody and, and so any cousins. Not not a moral. Not well. He he, he chokes up uh, Lancel pretty good. Yeah, metaphorically. Okay. I mean that's a that's that's a that's a choke slam if I've ever seen one. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I I don't. As you could be as satirical as you like, but <laughs> yeah, I you're do not think, wrong. I do think that. Um, that's that's what's great because you're supposed to see like oh well maybe not all the Lannisters are complete shits and maybe even Jamie had dice you know bounce a few different ways wouldn't be a total shit um, but it doesn't matter because even if this is a shining example of Lannister honor and glory Jamie's going to beat him <laughs> down uh-huh. uh, to lube the chain the, the chain with blood so he can choke Karstark the be- all the better 
Yep. Um, I mean, it's like, has Jamie never seen a fucking 70s or 80s era fantasy science fiction? Because the play is get on the ground and flop around, cousin, Mm -hmm. which would have been just as effective as him actually beating him until he's got the weird kind of like Sean Connery, the rock twitch going on with his foot. Uh, Like, the, the killing is kind of completely unnecessary. I think so. Yeah, and then you have an ally that was already a good squire, which maybe maybe you need. Like I, that's what I keep coming to. That it seemed like it was unnecessary. If yeah. Jamie had an ounce of literary trope in him, if he had cracked a book, his his, his dyslexic ass had cracked a book or two. I think uh, Alton Lannister is still alive. Maybe, or if the guard had maybe been a little bit smarter, Jamie would have got true. out. That's true. This guard's an idiot. If Lord Karstark had seen the same seventies, eighties era science fiction <laughs> fantasy show, yeah, he would have known that. Like guards, guards, this man needs help. Is like, right? The, the, it's like okay, well, I will call request for backup and send a medical team. Wait for Talisa kids <laughs> back to save your ass. And she'll, I, have, she'll have a bucket full of milk of the poppy for him. Right. Uh, you're staying in his cage. And I actually don't even understand what this guy, what Karstark's conception of guarding someone is. Because he's apparently 15 miles away when this thing happens. Like, right. they've been talking. He comes in, he shushes him, and then he fucks off to wherever. I don't know right. if he's going to the bathroom. I don't know where he is, but he is far away and and like we really can only spare one one kid to watch these this guy like right, he's there the be, most important hostage in all of westeros shouldn't there be like a team that kind of rotates every couple hours to keep him fresh yeah you know, if you're gonna have if you're gonna if, if rob's gonna be this big jailer of people uh-huh. so he can exchange them or whatever then you gotta do your you know you gotta do your job right yeah he talks about how great the the starks are at jailing people Mm-hmm. And how great they are at being jailed. It turns they out the car stark's super shit. That's what car. It's a, mo- so. it's a it's an old first men modifier that means bad. Bad at jailing. Yeah, like Stark is is means a lo- like we love being jailed. Car <laughs> means no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> They're really bad. They're really bad at being prisoners and imprisoning people. Yep. It's too bad. It's too bad. So that's the, the lone piece of non-spoiler feedback we got. Uh, we've got some more in the spoiler section, but that's for people who have been through the series and the books. Uh, well, the series anyway, because if you're in the series, you're actually way far ahead of the book people. Yeah. Uh, so feel free to join us. If you'd like to give us feedback, it's at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. And uh, we will be back next week for the next episode. And we will be going into the spoiler section right now. Uh, see you when we see you. Bye. All right, let's get into some spoilers. Uh, I thought it was interesting to see Theon hunting with dogs in this episode, knowing what's in ah, store yes. for him in the so future. He will, he will be he will be hunted. hunted with yeah, dogs. I know that's a pretty you know common occurrence is hunting with dogs, but it tickled me. Um, uh, and then the other thing with Theon is, I can't remember. Refresh my memory. Does he know that these are not the boys? He he has to, right? Because he would have been informed that they found them. Right. If they had. See, that's the thing, like I I I think that we're I I and I don't know and I didn't go back and re- like look at the next episode or, or refresh my memory of the books. because mm-hmm. um, I think the books are slightly different. Like it's not like the books are less ambiguous. Like maybe they find a brooch, or maybe got that. Con- uh, I've got that confused with fucking Fellowship of the, uh, the Ring. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think the idea is that Bran's better judgment 
won over and they skipped the farm and Dagmar somehow planted those walnuts. Okay. And yeah, I think the, I do think Theon knows, which is weird. Like I don't, I, I can't explain his, the only thing I can explain his reaction is that like, as they're hauling up these boys on the wall, the full weight of what he's doing yeah, and the type of leader that he is, is falling upon him and he's kind of horrified at himself. Because those are real boys, obviously, that were killed. In yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. So those are the... Despite them not being Brandon Ricken, it's it's still two boys. Right, right. So, still horrific. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to think of how... I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how we find out that that's fake. Because at some point, the I... I or, or maybe this is a book-only plot that... Uh, Hodor and uh, the boys and Asha and the wolves are hiding out in the crypts of Winterfell. Hmm, okay. Um, because when Winterfell kind of gets sacked, um, that that that's that's certainly where where they're at. So, mm-hmm. um, but I'm 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 kind of fuzzy on the the, the details there. Uh, the thing I want to talk about was Arya's meal with Tywin, and I'm thinking like in seems terms of season seven, where Arya. And we don't know exactly how much of this is quote unquote real because we've got stories of like all this alternate stuff they filmed, but it didn't make it to the end. And like how how genuine was Arya's like outrage with Sansa and how much of that was just like play acting to try to figure out what her sister's true motivations were. She's kind of like playing the lying game. But I just I kept on thinking, like, what if Sansa like had a fly in the wall and she sees like like it's not very clear that that Arya wants to kill Tywin, but she's sharing a meal with him and kind of taking a shine to him and doing the thing that she needs to do to survive and, 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 right. and keep alive and, and get revenge for the family. Yet she judges Sansa for, you know, writing a letter and, and, you know, playing this, this game of court footsie with Cersei and Joffrey and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the delicious thing is Sansa can't throw that in her face because she knows nothing of it. Right. Arya knows all this shit about Sansa, but it's it's very asymmetric. But mm-hmm. um, it's something that's kind of it's kind of funny when you get later on into the series. Uh, any other kind of points we want to make? Or get right to the feedback. Let's get to the feedback. Okay, once again, Game of Thrones at baldmove dot com. Jonathan H is first. Does Brienne come across as completely ridiculous to anyone else? Let's counter fuck ups. One, let Renly die. Two, lost control of Jamie. Three, best in the hound, but in so doing, ruined Arya's hopes of reaching Winterfell. She seems like this duty-bound, allegiance-swearing wrecking ball that does more harm than good. I guess <laughs> this isn't much of a question, but I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, I feel like blind honor and devotion has always kind of been a wrecking ball. I mean, the, I mean yeah. look at the Starks, right? Yeah, and right. I, so, in as much as she embodies that, like the Starks do, yeah, sure. The thing is, is like, she's even worse or better depending on your perspective because like Ned did compromise his honor and integrity by taking the plea deal and lying to the realm to preserve his daughters Mm -hmm. Rob besmirches his personal honor by reneging on his marriage contract and ultimately destroying his kingship um, because of his like you know essentially carnal selfishness yeah come Um, on John's stronger than you are Rob yeah, um, whereas Brienne, like, doesn't really have any of, uh, so certainly not so far. And also, let Renly die? What the hell would anyone do to stop the yeah. supernatural shadow baby that you didn't even know existed? Get a big light. <laughs> big old candle. Right, like, set Renly on fire and he would have been <laughs> warm for the rest of his life. Like, I, I don't know that you can say that she let Renly die. No, no, that's not on her. 
I know there's there was no defense. She has no no defense against that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, losing control of Jamie. Uh, he's one of the best killers in the land. Yeah. Uh, and like the best thing the hound like that's the other thing is like both the hound and Brienne were doing what they thought was best for Arya, and what they thought best was killing each other. <laughs> uh-huh. So like I I don't know I don't think I don't think she's ridiculous at all. I like Brienne a lot. Me too. So I can't can't go along with you on that one, Jonathan. Uh, Patrick F. I was pretty surprised that you're reading the scene of last week when the half hand gives John the kill Egret. Or leaves John to kill Egret. Why I think your hypothesis that was because he expected John to rape is valid and fits the character presented on screen, certainly not how it goes down in the books. If I remember correctly, Corrin later reveals his motivation for leaving John alone to kill Egret was because he knew he wouldn't kill her, thereby adding to his credentials when he turns double agent. Corrin says something along the lines of, if I want someone to torture a wildling, I'd ask Eben. If I wanted someone to climb a mountain, I'd ask Stone Snake. But I ask you to do this task, basically revealing he knows his men inside and out. I know the show changed Corrin's character somewhat, um, but in his estimation, they five out of ten executed a great plotline, in my opinion. But to suggest he expected him to rape her seems pretty far removed from the book character. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. And that's the one thing I was going to make at the tail end of Corrin's story is that I was I was pretty disappointed with how they handled this. Um, because in the books, there's this like, great scene of, like, you know, Corrin and his hand-picked team... And there's always, like, these moments of, like, you know, Corrin make the observations, like, from that rocky crag, a man that's good with the bow could hold off could hold off men for a good long while until he ran out of arrows. And, like, the best archer in the group would stand up and be like, yep, you're right, and just solemnly go off to fucking die to give, like, there's this running battle between these, these, these dwindling group of, like, badasses against all these wildlings. It's very hmm. fucking Black Hawk down. It's very... Lone survivor and that guy eat that shit up, um, and and then you're you're right at the end when you know John gets captured and they've got this they, like Horn reveals that like that's kind of like his ace up the sleeve that John's natural pity and kind of stupidity with the enemy would make it uh, him a better turn cloak. I uh, didn't pick up on any of that. Right, from last you don't. Episode. You don't, and that's what's like I was pointing out. This, like, you know, without that knowledge, it just makes it. I and I think that maybe the double D's leaned into that because, like, you know, you got to make you got to. It seems like sixty more seconds, and you could have told a lot of that story, or maybe two minutes over the course of the season. But you got to decide with trim and whatnot, mm-hmm. and the way they trimmed it, it gives it this kind of like another di- additional layer of gray to the 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 Night's Watch. That this guy who's okay. been battling yeah. these guys for decades is kind of so cynical and grizzled that he would, you know, it, it's it's and that's another kind of like disillusionment that John has to go for go through, because that's the thing. Like this is the beginning of John's path where he sees a way to unify the Wildlings and the Night's Watch and and sees that against the real threat of of these old gods that Craster worships. Mm-hmm. Um, this enmity between the Night's Watch and the the Wildlings is stupid. Okay. Yeah, I mean, as presented in the show, it feels like maybe that never should have happened. Uh, but yeah, when you throw in the book knowledge, which right. I'm not privy to. Uh, let's continue with Melanie R. I got caught up in your got podcast. I want to let you know that I recently watched a commentary by Germ on episode 209, Blackwater. He said, he... winds of winter is coming out in <laughs> three weeks. Got 90% of it written. <laughs> 
uh, or he comments about how he wanted to include the chain, but there was no budget for it. They invented, huh. invested most of it in the boat they created and decided to drop the chain, pun intended. Okay. I, there again, like, how fucking expensive is it to animate a chain coming in out of the water? It could probably be a practical effect and then CGI a couple of... Exploding boats? Well, I mean, I just, like, when they say, like, I we spent all our money on zombie polar bears so we couldn't afford a few seconds of ghost. Like, mm-hmm. I, that just really doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, And to me, the chain is kind of, like, what really makes it, like, a, a uniquely kind of Tyrion trap. Right. Uh, and, and really amps up the cleverness. So, like, I... I mean, I guess I just don't understand how they how they decide what is worth budget and what isn't on the show. Yeah, I guess the earlier and earlier um, you go in the show, mm-hmm. the more I'm willing to give them that. Right. Um, like, look, we didn't have the budget. Right. You get to season seven. Come yeah. on, you're making the biggest show on television. Right. Don't tell me you can't afford it. Yeah, for something. And it's not like a little thing. Like, Ghost is like one of these big fan favorites. And that the other yeah. thing is like... If I remember correctly, I was not very impressed with the mock boats they have. Like, they look like sound mm. stages that are of a... They don't even try to CGI water. It's just like they're on a gloomy set. Dark, they, yeah. they only, it's like, and this is like, uh, you know, I know what a real boat looks like, what real rigging, and, and it's just they don't nail any of it. It feels <laughs> very stagey. Yeah. So, like, hearing that, and I, I guess you're talking about this is like on the DVD commentaries... Um, it just it, yeah, astounds me. Astounds me that the the CGI boat budget, or the the practical boat budget, sucked up all the chain budget. Uh, Sean from North. Uh, I'm gonna try try to say this. Kakalaki. No, oh, yeah, that sounds right. Kakalaki. Krakalaka. Krakalaka. Wow. Uh, I am fully caught up with Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire, and have been following your season two rewatch. Well, thanks. I agree with you and many others' opinions that Tywin Faroos swapping Heron Hall and the re- resulting relationship with Arya is one of the most enjoyable parts of season two and the entire show. But this aspect is mostly unique to the show and presumably spearheaded by the Double Ds as writers for the new dialogue and scenes. Can this storyline be used as proof that the showrunners and associated writing team is capable of generating compelling original content in the bounds of the Game of Thrones story and that the generally plot hole ridden and immersion breaking only show only plots of season six and seven are evidence of other underlying issues in my opinion it's not uncommon for shows to become lazy with story details once they achieve critical acclaim and general popularity uh but do you think this points to a decline in care for the show over time or is this a situation different enough not to provide for fair comparison to the bullet point style resource material for season six and seven my guess is the thing that's causing all the problems in season seven, as far as plotting goes, is time. Mm-hmm. Um, not having, not having the episodes they need to really fully flesh out the story and get to the end point that they're heading for. But it's so weird because I know they could have more time, but but it's also it but, comes down to burnout for the double D's, right? Like it, they don't want to continue to produce this for another three, four, five years. Yeah, they just want to finish the story and be done with it. And I can't blame them. I mean, yeah. They've been doing this for eight years now. Okay, so like, I feel like I've carried enough water for the Double Ds, I can say, like from the other side, that like, much like Game of Thrones itself, there are no heroes here. Like, George should have, in my estimation, buckled the fuck down and gotten another book or two out. Or... Mm-hmm decided that's never going to happen, so I'm going to more directly collaborate to make sure this, you know, is the best version of my vision. It seems like instead there's been a little bit of a 
a rift in their creative relationship because like, well, I don't have time to fucking finish my books. I certainly don't have time to write a script or sit in a writer's room. (laughs) Uh And also this thing about the double D's like getting sick of game of Thrones again, fucking buck up dudes. Like there is, there is that's easy to say looking in from the outside. I I do the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) Look, I, I have like, it's, it's, you know, being a podcaster is not all, you know, roses either. There is many days that I don't feel like fucking doing this. But on the other hand, I have a contract with people that expect this shit to get done. And they and they're delivering they, on and, that. And, and they provide my life. But the work is suffering, certainly. And, yeah. and you can see it suffering um, under those circumstances. I they haven't you know failed in any of their obligations necessarily I they've simply been i i just do feel like they're not they are there's a little bit of fuck it let's just get through this and i think yeah. that in a perfect world these guys would stay creatively engaged throughout the whole process and tr- and, and try that much harder um well, as soon as you find the perfect world let me know well <laughs> um and and the, you know maybe it's because like again there's this is where it gets blurry because the bullet points i think pay uh you know like it's one thing to have a building that's all fleshed out and you get to the sixth floor and it's like, oh, we wanted a waterfall here. Let's just, it's just going to have to be a blank wall because we don't have the budget for it. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other. It's like floors six and seven don't exist. Let's just let's get the water. Well, the waterfall's half built and we ran out of money. Shit. What are we going to do? You know, well, try to, you know, put his best spotlight on it and move on. Like, I do think maybe they'd be more energized and engaged if they were having this streamlining role. And it's a lot easier to, you know, make a plain wall look prettier if you knew that it has to be plain because we don't have the budget for it. Then you get halfway through the waterfall and like, well, shit, we just have to somehow, you know, fucking have an ice dragon here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not disagreeing that the blame there's plenty of blame to go around and that yeah. Martin is partially responsible. The double D's are partially that's responsible. What, and that's what I'm and, saying. And I'm not saying that makes them blameless. It's yeah. just an understandable thing and I, I do think it's interesting that like some in the community like it seems like it seems like preponderance of fan wants to always throw it back to the double d's as being the ultimate betrayers when sure the god of the universe stopped on day five of creation mm-hmm. like you know how can anyone care more about this goddamn story than george martin sure so like i think he's the most at fault and <laughs> then if i if 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 the double d's and I don't know their pressures. Like they're, you know, they're living this shit twenty four seven in a way I can't. Like I certainly don't as a podcaster. But I do wish they cared maybe a little bit more okay. because there is multiple times when I was listening to their own goddamn words where they're saying like, "Well, this wasn't great, but it's the best we could come up with with the time and budget restraints." Who are putting the time and budget restraints on them? Ultimately, yeah. like if they went back and said, "I need another episode," and it's going to delay season eight another month well who cares who yeah cares? that's the thing i i don't think you can blame this on time t- like actual time in production schedules and budget right because i think you will have as much leeway as you need on those things if you simply ask for it also apropos of this and truly needed this conversation someone dug up a quote from george martin i think it was october 15th 2007 uh-huh. where he said you know, in 10 years when the books are finished, no one's going to remember how long it took to f- in between the books. They're going to remember how good they were. 
and 10 years later, there's still two <laughs> books that haven't come out. They may never come out. Yeah. And guarantee, George, what people will remember if the books never get finished is yeah. the books never got finished. That's true. So, gee, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of a shit show. Okay, Jeremy, OC. Uh, the day before Rinley is killed by a shadow baby from the Big Red's Vag, the two brothers meet on a bluff to chat with Cat there, too. For some reason in the books, Rinley offers Stannis a peach. He doesn't take it, but he's confused by the offer, and I am, too. What the hell is Rinley doing? A friend of mine is a teacher of difficult kids, and he sa- she says she will often eat an apple in front of a student who's near the boiling point. She says, you never look stressed while eating an apple, and it calms everyone down. Is this what Rinley, the weird fruit-loving usurper, was up to? Would love your thoughts. <laughs> okay. Wow. I I have no response for that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I mean, it, I, like when I, I, at first I'm like, well, this is interesting. But then I think, like, the idea of, like, someone kind of offhandly eating fruit in front of like it reminds he me is of like too. there's a scene in the like, show where like, he's eating fruit sure and it reminds me like cool hand luke where the boss is like carving an apples as he's laying down the law and like there's like uh-huh. other scenes like that where it is kind of like this person's doing this very casual thing it's like if if uh-huh. they were trimming their toenails in front of you it'd be kind of the same thing like, like tywin cleaning the deer <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's like it's it's a little bit of a power game Hmm. Um, I do think in the book it's more because if I recall correctly, the scene is like Stannis is like thinking about his brother and he's feeling guilty about it and kind of the underhanded way he won and and uh, how hinky it was and like grappling with the idea that like he really did love his brothers in some deep down place of him and he can't quite articulate it. And he's like to him, the peach is kind of like, you know, Rosebud. Like he he he's assigning a deeper meaning to it because he what else can he say? I love my brother. Right. So I don't know. Wow. It's the weirdest email. Is this the weirdest email we've ever considered? I thought it was super weird. Okay. Okay. We'll move on then. Hunter from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, had a quick thought about Bronn's character moving into season eight with Jamie A. Wall and the Tarleys both dead. Who will Cersei choose to lead the Lannister army? It seems Bronn is the only one left in King's Landing that's a ranking officer for the Lannister army, so mm. it would make sense to put him in charge. That would be quite the arc from his sellsword from season one. My gut tells me he would follow Jamie to Winterfell, but do you think if he was going to do that, he would have left with him? This leads me to believe he has another purpose in King's Landing. Do you see Bronn as supreme commander of the Lannister army? Yeah. I mean, Bronn's climbing the ladders, right? Climbing the rungs. I if just... He can, I mean, he's also the guy who's going to back the right horse. Yeah. You know? And if he sees that the Lannisters are weak, he's not going to back that horse anymore. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's... Who else? The Mountain? Put well, the Mountain in charge. Yeah, the Undead Mountain. Uh-huh. I thought, like, if anyone's probably going to lead it, it'd be Euron, assuming he doesn't yeah, immediately yeah. betray Cersei. Okay. But, like, Bronn, I'm like... I mean, maybe that is that there is no, literally no one else. But I, I'm thinking of like any minor or major lord that's still left in 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 Tywin's old bannerman. Like the idea that Bronn would be leading them would be some kind of fucking joke. Yeah, we talked about. And it looked like there happens. was. They looked like there was land, competent Lannister commanders left because Jamie uh, was meeting Kevin? with them. Kevin's, nah, Kevin's dead. Kevin's dead. Kevin's dead. He got blown up die? in the Sept. In the books, he got. Oh, in the books, he got stabbed to death. The way okay, uh, one of the many people to perish in the sept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, but but they showed Jamie meeting with his commanders, and they seem like they're professional and competent. So, I imagine one of those guys would do it. 
But the other thing is like, you know, uh, related to the conversation you said about the double D's, like when you said, yeah, sure, I can see that. Like my heart sinks because me, I'm thinking like all this history and how he's this very up jumps rough around the edge of cell sword and how none of the the professional soldiers will want to follow him. But if you're as a... I mean, I, I podcast think podcast guys like, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Like, I feel like the double D's will like say the same thing. They're like, I mean, he it, might be not? in a Theon situation where nobody respects him, but I think he would probably, I don't think Braun would ever be in a Theon situation. <laughs> no, well, I think, well, in as much as they don't respect okay, him. Okay, sure. Um, maybe he can instill some respect. Yeah. I think the first time that guy lips him off, like tries to leave in a boat, he's holding his own guts. And then uh, like, this is why you don't give me shit. Well, that's not respect. That's fear. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, but my, my larger point is he is an opportunist and we've seen that time and time again. And as soon as he thinks there's an opportunity to jump on that could be successful for him, he takes it. Now I think he might change his mind. Um, once he sees kind of the more a little more of the devastation that the dragons can bring to a castle, yeah, um, you know he's seen it in the field, so he should be well aware. But I think uh, once he realizes there is no safe place, he might he might turn that opportunity down. Sure, I'm still holding out hope for the the Dornish Gambit. Yeah, um, I just don't know. Yeah, you'd have to. I think Euron is the most likely one. Yeah. Uh okay, so Fern from NYC is going to bat clean up here. Been rewatching season seven, and I've had some thoughts. Everyone assumes the Night's King will go north, uh, will go north to south with the Army of the Dead, and his main army most likely will. But my question is, now that the Night's King has a dragon, and seeing Danny dra- fly from Dragonstone to East Watch faster than Jim driving Chipotle for lunch, could the King's Night's King swing around Westeros with his dragon and strike King's Landing with his dragon. Wait, mm. what did I just say? Could the Night's King dragon? Could Night's King swing around the Westeros with his dragon and strike King's Landing with his dragon? Okay, yep, I, I earned that double dragon. <laughs> Even if he went alone, he could just you just need to kill a handful of people to make them his army, or just raise the dead that are already in King's Landing. Could Cersei meet her in by the Night's King before the North even fight the army of the dead? Uh, white Cersei, anyone? W I G H T. Hell, if Dragon is a white, then it should have dead raising abilities as uh, well. This, wow, is, spinning. That's this a... is spinning off into Fern. No... Fern, you're, you're yeah. you've done speculated yourself into a, a tizzy. Um, uh, I, I think the the Night King has maybe fucked himself with this dragon because the dragon's fire is going to burn up all of his potential army, right? If he decides to use it. I'm going to make a further Chipotle-based analogy. Okay. Uh, Jim no longer rushes like a madman to Chipotle. Jim yeah. orders online, secure in the knowledge that when he arrives, mm-hmm. the burrito will be waiting for him. I'm a tactician. That's I think why. the Night King similarly has preordained that he's going to get King's Landing and is in no particular hurry to mosey down. He's got mm-hmm. oceans of time to conquer Westeros. That burrito will be waiting for him <laughs> in King's Landing. Yep. I don't... No, like it seems like the story of the night of, of the of the Night's King has been slow and patient accumulation of power. Mm-hmm. But as Fern says, he does have the dragon, which he didn't have before. So, yeah, no, it's um, I I just don't I don't really know what he's gonna do with it. Yeah, like it, it changes the game certainly, but I don't know to what degree. As far as him like raising dead and how old a dead he could, like no one really knows that stuff. Like people have pointed to like how. 
the Stark royalty has like always been interred in like the the crypts of Winterfell with like some kind of like potentially magical protection because they they're all their kings have these iron swords across their laps and people like like well in most traditions iron is like proof against undead and magic and all but like who the fuck knows yeah like I mean if the Night King can resurrect anyone who's ever died ever but. That would be scary, but we've never really seen him do that. We've seen, Mm -hmm. like, really old dead, but, like, those could have been, like, whites that have been laying around for centuries, if not millennia. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if he can just, like, empty the graveyards out, like some kind of fucking night on Bald Mountain situation. Yeah, and I guess I don't know what effect the dragon's fire would have on people. Would it turn them? Right. Would Would it burn them up? Right. Um... I, I, I guess that, that could be interesting. I don't... I mean, in the dragons is a real grayer because, like, they've always said the dragons are not just mere beasts. There is some kind mm-hmm. of intelligence there. So maybe they could be, like, a full White Walker dragon and could 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 start raising. But, like, then again, I don't know that they're that close to human intelligence. Like, I don't know if they're going to... They're going to be able to master the gloating-based language that is <laughs> required to weave the spells that pull the dead out of the ground. And no one, uh, no one knows. No one knows. I just... Yeah. I just don't I th- it seems like it would have this weird thing where um it really completely makes the machinations down south worth nothing. Like if the Night King comes while, you know, John and Danny are dreading dealing with King's Landing and nukes King's Landing and then goes back up north and what are we even fighting for now? Yeah. So I mean could could the white could the Night King fly to the Summer Isles? Could he fly to Southeros or whatever? Like, like sure. there's also this thing of like the the winter comes with the Night King. Can he just like, you know, go to hit a tropical beach and start raising dead? I, I I honestly don't know. I wish I did. I wish I knew more about their limitations and strengths and weaknesses. But whatever. We got six more episodes to go. We do. That's it. That's it. Again, Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. If you'd like to send us feedback, you can also go to forums.baldmove.com. Uh, to talk with your fellow fans and follow us on all the social medias and of course baldmove.com to find uh, to keep up with uh, what we're doing because we're doing stuff all the time got a really big week ahead of us mm-hmm. pretty excited uh, we'll be back next week with another episode until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim see ya <laughs>